Good afternoon. Um, it is a pleasure to, to be here in, in Oxford with you and uh, consider our question, what would happen to barley production in Finland if the global temperature increase is above 4 degrees Celsius? And this is now, of course, some quite a contrasting with, with what we have heard in the first two talks, um, where we expect largely yield decline, so we move from the tropical uh, zones of uh, sub-Saharan Africa to the boreal zones of uh, Finland and also to completely uh, different biophysical settings. And often, but there is of course a connection, often it is speculated where will then the food be produced when we have those yield losses of 30, 40, 50 percent and so on. So what we wanted to do as a team, I'm also speaking on behalf of my colleagues at MTT Agri-Food Research, Plant Production Research, uh, the uh, Environmental Institute in Finland and uh, the Czech Institute, uh, University, uh, Mendel University in Czechia. Uh, what we wanted to look a little bit closer is um, not just looking at the mean changes, uh, but looking also if climate variability changes. And so far it often has been said in IPCC reports and also later that the northern latitudes benefit from uh, climate change, but uh, we wanted to look a little bit closer. A little bit about the background of the study. <clears throat> so about uh, two years ago I discussed with, with Tim Carter from Finnish Environment Institute what, what had, has actually now happened in terms of agricultural impact assessments um, after, for instance, the uh, second assessment report of IPCC in 1995. And we concluded not too much. And uh, well, Andrew Jalino uh, will later talk, there has been happening now something in the last few years, so he will report about that. But um, something what, what we looked at closer is, we, for instance, we found that one of those prominent uh, uh, crop simulation models, uh, like Warforst, uh, that are part of the, for instance, of the uh, crop growth monitoring system of the European Union run by the Joint Research Center, have been largely untapped for this kind of climate impact and adaptation assessments. So, uh, and when we looked even more closer, we found, for instance, there are um, a lot of work has been done early in 90s for, for validating, for calibrating, validating those models, but after that, very little has happened. It's also that recently has been uh, reported by Martin Perry at the Copenhagen conference. So, what we found was that a lot of those COP parameters, uh, COP files are outdated they still represent cultivars, crop cultivars of the early 90s or even the 80s. So we, we would have to do some updates. So we concluded first of all for what we can do is we look for, for all the important crops in Finland and maybe later in Europe to, to update uh, those models and then be able to estimate yields under current climate and then make them a later step. But we have we have the uh, advantage in Finland, we have nice experimental data sets, MTT official variety trials for many of the important crops, 20 years, partly 30 years, that's a luxury compared to many other countries in, in Europe. So we made use of those, of those experimental data to calibrate our uh, model, in this case the Wolfhorst, and uh, we were quite happy with the results on the current climate, and we had started with rapeseed and barley, and when we heard about this conference, we, we thought the barley uh, simulations were quite good, so uh, for the current climate, then we could also test it. 
So what we wanted to do was basically a kind of sensitivity analysis. Sensitivity analysis is to look at, at temperatures, changes beyond four and so on, precipitation changes, but then also uh, variability changes. So we just took two stations, Jokijoinen representing the very favorable areas in the southwest of Finland and the Uvascular more in the center, two soil types just spanning the wide range of agricultural soils from the favorable ones to the uh, poor ones. A variable uh, sowing date, actually there we looked not not, not uh, in, a, in a strict sense to potential impacts, but we mimic the farmer's behavior. So that we like, um, for all the sets, we, we, we looked at certain temperature limits when the farmer would start to saw, and also cer certain soil moisture ranges. So not that that means we, we mimic the adaptation behavior of the farmer and that extent. Because then barley, <coughs> barley is the most important crops in terms of area coverage. Uh, in Finland, we, we choose it then as an indicator crop. And we also, we, we simulated the water-limited crop growth, so not the potential yields, but the water-limited, so the rain-fed uh, yields, using this Wolfhurst model. Uh, just a few concepts. Um, <clears throat> so, water-limited yields, that is, they're not a potential yield, which, according to the terminology of the CTDVIT modeling school, which is the most important one, um, uh, is potential yield is determined by CO2 concentration in the atmosphere, radiation, temperature, crop characteristics, defining factors. And then attainable yields are then achieved when not at all times water and nutrients are in full supply. So then we talk either about water-limited or nutrient-limited production. Of course, then at the, at the next level, then you have then a lot of other factors reducing, like weeds, diseases, pests, pollutants, like ozone, then you come to the actual level. So just that uh, as a background. What does WOFOS? It is a summary model. I should stress it is a summary model, so it's not this highly complex model like LCOS, BACOS, and, and so on, uh, which, which are more research tools, but it has been uh, developed for applications. It works at a daily time step with weather data, crop parameters on assimilation, phenology, and so on, soil parameters on water retention. And it leads to, it produces outputs at a daily time step of total biomass production or trimatter increase. And it uh, allocates trimatter to the different plant organs so that at the end you get the crop yield, estimate, cross assimilation, respiration, leaf area index, the field water balance all at the daily time step and also yield and biomass at different nutrient uh, input levels. Now, the scenarios we wanted to analyze, we looked at the reference period, uh, 71 to 2000, and then we started um, to increase the temperature by first, first we, we, we reduced it minus two, then plus two, plus four, plus five, plus six, plus seven, and then increased CO2, 560 ppm, we only used one level here, uh, in combination with plus four, till seven. We changed the summer precipitation. We varied soil moisture condi conditions in springtime. And then also we had a set of scenarios uh, where we varied the, the uh, variability of temperature, of rainfall, dry, uh, dry and wet runs or uh, dry spells. And then we combined this also with plus four temperature and with or without reducing the precipitation in the summer. And finally, also we looked at the ESRE scenarios, a high emission scenario, uh, using one model. Now, the next one, I give you a little bit time to familiarize with that slide. <laughs> and because you will see more of them. 
So, <clears throat> well, it looks, it might be, at the first place, look a little bit boring, but it is absolutely interesting because <laughs> you, <laughs> you, have, you have the grain yield on the, on the x-axis and on, on the y-axis on the y-axis and the x-axis, all the scenarios I just told you about. Now the first box, the box and whisker plot, shows you below the, the minimum and above the, the maximum yield in that 30 uh, period, 30 years period, reference period, ref. Uh, the, the blue line that goes through shows the average of that period and then the, the black line shows the median and then you have the, the 25 and the 75 percentile. And now, if you, if you go now and, and you decrease the temperature, so we did the simulations with one cultivar, only with one cultivar here, in that, except the last one. <laughs> and then, and then uh, what happens is then, if, if you reduce the temperature by two degrees, you would have much higher variable yields, and, and the, the average would be a little bit higher, but the, the variability would be great, and that, it, it shows actually that the current cultivar uh, is suited to the current climate and would not be so much suited to, to, to a cooler climate. Then you start plus two, plus four, five, six, seven, and now you see uh, dramatic changes, uh, so up to 30, 35% yield reductions. And it, that even, it even happens even though you start earlier in the sowing. So it is not just a fixed sowing date, but it, it mimics the farmer's behavior. Then the CO2 effect Cannot the CO2 uh, fertilization effect, I should say, is for the, the, the crops of the C3 uh, photosynthetic pathway has uh, been found to be beneficial in the order of 20, 30 percent uh, at 560 ppm. But it, it doesn't, under these rain-fed conditions, it doesn't compensate the yield losses here. Then we come to the V0 that is now actually the, the reference period and with 200 years synthetic weather. But you can see the, the weather generator is quite good. It, it, it is a little bit more uh, variation in the yields, but uh, it coincides with, with the median and so on. Then this uh, V1 and V2, V1 is 1.5 the standard deviation of temperature, V2 is 2.5 times the standard deviation of temperature daily around the monthly mean. That is, of course, mu far too, <laughs> too much. It is just a kind of sensitivity. We, uh, if you look at, at the Hadley model, for instance, we see that we never come uh, uh, beyond 30% or 40% increase in, in, in the temperature variability. But we, we, have, we all only looked at the Hadley model, so we have to look what it then really would mean. But then let's continue. Then we, uh, we uh, increase the, the uh, intensity of rainfall, or the, we, changed, we changed this uh, dry wet spell uh, frequency, and then we, we do that at more and more uh, longer dry spells. And, and then you see that really has an impact even on this favorable clay soil. Um, finally, the A1FI SRES scenario, which you have seen this morning, Richard Betts showed, it means for Finland about 7 to 8 degrees Celsius uh, temperature increase. And then we have the B1, and the last one is then uh, we designed a new cultivar that would, for the plus four degree world, be so that it would exploit the longer growth duration. And, and with that cultivar, we, we can compensate, we could restore, we could restore the yield level 
but the variability still would be higher. That looks now much worse when we go to a sandy soil. So this was a very favorable soil with good water retention capacity. When we go to a sandy soil, you see already the yield level, the initial yield level is about two tons lower. And then you see the effects, especially of when you vary then uh, uh, rainfall uh, uh, pattern and distribution, you have uh, a strong, strong negative effects also in Finland. And then um, the same now shown for Uvascular. It, it's a li little bit moist, uh, moister site, so uh, the effects are not that strong. And also at the set, um, in Jokioin, and then this shows uh, now instead of the yield, it shows the total above ground dry matter. And the pattern is quite similar to that of the grain yield. And actually, it also shows that um, the, the model is quite robust. So it doesn't, it doesn't behave strangely. This, it keeps the harvest indexes quite stable and so on. OK. <coughs> this is now, this only illustrates the strong influence of soil type. Of course, we have here a clay soil and a sandy soil for the reference period. And uh, you see in the, in the dry years or years with unfavorable rainfall distribution, this makes really a difference whether you have a, a soil with good moisture retention capacity or not. And that's also what we observe in reality. This is now the same with simulated synthetic weather for Jokioinen. Here we see two scenarios. Again, the difference is between clay soil and sandy soil for those scenarios where we uh, increase the uh, probability of, of dry spells and the length of dry spells. And then uh, the, the same for the high emission scenario here. And then uh, for the new cultivar. So um, this is also interesting. You see that, that uh, the average phenology and shifts on alternative climate change scenarios, how the sowing dates change, and uh, how the total duration, that's the last column from emergence to maturity of the crop, changes under different scenarios. This shows, again, about the length of the growing season. Let me come to the conclusions. So there are many interesting results I haven't reported to you, but what we have seen from this study is most distinct negative effects in general for this uh, high emission scenario in Finland. Again, I remind you, seven to eight degrees uh, have been projected for Finland. Then for the clay soil, uh, especially this temperature variability uh, had uh, very strong negative impacts. And then the plus five, plus six, plus seven, and a bit, bit less than the plus uh, uh, four combined with prolonged dry spells without or then with decreased summer precipitation. And then on the sandy soils, the temperature scenarios uh, and, and uh, the uh, changes in the intensity of rainfall both, but not so much the, the temperature variability scenario. Then the CO2 fertilization effect cannot compensate the negative impacts, at least at this level of 560 ppm. There is a huge influence of the soil type. A newly designed cultivar could only restore the yield levels on the clay soils. You have seen not on the sandy soils. The most promising adaptation is improved and nutrient management, water and nutrient management. Um, we, current, you saw the current yields on the sandy soils simulated and also found at, at variety trials. Attainable is about four to four and a half tons, but the average national yields are at 3.5 tons. So there is still some yield gap 
that could be closed. And then, of course, the introduction of new barley cultivars or then cropping systems. But there, there are a lot of research needs. So what, what is going to happen when we shift to winter crops as, as, as we find them now in Denmark and so on? It has a lot of implications, also environmental implications. And we have, there has been very little studied so far. So then, beyond four degrees, no positive effect on cereal production, but a high risk for yield reduction. And then more general, serious gap is the evaluation of regional crop yield model estimates, something that's a very big gap and we have to do, maybe in the European context. Uh, there is a cost action running where at the, mo at the moment, again, after a long, long time, uh, crop model performance is compared across the EU. And uh, seven models, two cereals, ten sites. So this is, after a long time, a new effort. But only, that's only uh, the first step, and then the next step should be these regional uh, yield, uh, crop yield estimations. This is now Wolfhurst integrated for Finland into a credit system, and then we would like to do uh, validations of regional yields in, in watersheds, where we have uh, data-rich uh, uh, regions. And on the, on the right-hand side, you see the models that are currently in this model comparison. APES, that's a, a new model, resulting from the seamless project, and the other models are known to those who are quite established so far. Thank you very much for your attention.